0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you would, get your Bibles out. Open them up to John the 13th chapter. John chapter 13. We will be there uh, primarily this morning. We'll step out a time or two, but we'll just kind of keep coming right back to John the 13th chapter as we spend these next few minutes in the Word of God, listening to the Lord as He speaks to us through His Word, not only the instructions and the commandments, but particularly this morning the examples that we find uh, therein. John the 13th chapter today. It is great to see everybody today. I'm so glad that you are here. Uh, just appreciate very much your presence and your participation in this time of of worship and devotion unto God. And I hope that for the next few minutes as we study some things from the Bible that we will be encouraged and we will be provoked and helped in a a good and instructive and positive way uh, as we look at some things in John the 13th chapter. Read with me, if you will, in John 13. I'm beginning here at the very beginning of the chapter. In John 13, starting in verse number 1, John 13 and in verse 1, We're told that before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. That during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God, He rose from supper and He laid aside His outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Drop down, if you will, to verse 12. There's some conversation there that happens, but pick up in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and had put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It was a rainy afternoon during the American Revolutionary War when General George Washington rode up to a group of soldiers who were attempting to hoist a large beam into place into a kind of a high position. The corporal who was in charge of that platoon was barking orders at these men and berating them for not working fast enough and not getting the job done. And so after watching the men struggle there for a few moments, Washington turned and asked the corporal why he didn't get down and join them and help them to get it put into place. To which the corporal replied, Don't you realize that I'm the corporal? Very politely, General Washington replied, I beg your pardon, Mr. Corporal. At which point Washington dismounted his own horse and he got down into the mud and helped the soldiers get the beam into position. As they were finishing up, Washington he wiped the sweat off the brow and he said to the gentleman, he said, Gentlemen, if you should need help again, just call upon your commander-in-chief and I will gladly come. Now that's a great story. Because here is a man who was in an exalted position. The kind of position where he could snap his fingers and people would come to him. People would do exactly what he had to say and yet here is the president of the United States of America down in the mud being a servant. And we marvel at stories like that. That's not the only kind of story from history like that, but we marvel at stories like that because here is a man who is, in essence, the leader of the free world, humbling himself in order to serve even in a very lowly position. And yet, as amazing as that story is, it still doesn't even begin to compare with what we just read in John the 13th chapter where the Savior of the world, not just the free leader of the world, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, wrapped Himself in a towel, took a basin of water, and washed dirty feet. The one who ought to have had His feet washed was instead serving. Serving. And the kicker, of course, is what Jesus says in verse 14 when He brings it all home by saying to these men, If I, then, your Lord and Teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This morning, I need to talk for just a few minutes about what we see here in John 13. I need to talk to you about service. I need to talk to you about what it means to be a servant. And that's not really a very popular idea to talk about in our day and time. We live in a very selfish society. We live in the middle of the me generation. And in the middle of that society and in that culture, who wants to hear about servanthood? Who wants to hear about the price that has to be paid to be a servant? Who wants to hear about that? We don't want to hear about that. In fact, if the choice is between having your feet washed or washing dirty feet, well, that's a no-brainer. I'd rather have my feet washed. I don't want to get down and do for others. We want to be served. And yet this morning, Jesus is going to challenge us. He's going to challenge us to rethink our natural inclinations about that. Jesus is going to challenge us to serve Instead of always expecting to be served. Jesus models in John the 13th chapter what it means to be a servant because He wants you and I to develop that same mentality in that same heart. And I do want to underline that being a servant, that that is something that all of us can do. The fact of the matter is you don't need to be highly educated to be a servant. You don't need to have lots of money to be a servant. You don't need to be born into the right family to be a servant. You don't need any of that stuff in order to serve. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter what your skills are. Everybody can be a servant. And in the body of Christ, that's what Jesus expects. You know, I can't do a lot of the things that Jesus did when He was here on this earth. But I can do what He did in John 13 if I'm willing to humble myself. If I'm willing to pay the price of servanthood and this morning, that's the key. I've got to be willing to pay the price of service. And what I want to do today for just a few minutes is I want to write out of John 13, I want to highlight three of those prices that must be paid in servanthood. Three things that you and I must adopt into our thinking and into our way of life so that we can be a servant of like Jesus. And I do want to kind of of narrow the focus this morning. I realize that what Jesus patterns here about service is something that applies in every area of life. The Lord calls upon us to serve everywhere that we are and whatever that we are doing, whatever arena we might be talking about. But I'd like to kind of keep things tightly focused thinking about service in the kingdom. Service within the body of Christ. Service in this local congregation. In fact, the original application of that was for disciples, wasn't it? Jesus says, serve one another, wash one another's feet as He talks to those disciples there. And so I'd like for us to think today about what it means to be a servant in the local church, what it means for us to be a servant, particularly those of us that are part of this local family, the church at Lakeside. ready for that? Let's talk about that. Three ideas that must be present in order to pay that price. First and foremost, that all begins by having a willingness to be inconvenienced. That I'm going to be willing to serve even if that causes an interruption in my life. You know, if you ask Jesus what exactly is on the agenda on the night of the Last Supper, what you're going to find is that Jesus' to-do list is just jam-packed. I mean, there is just all kinds of stuff that Jesus has to get done. First and foremost, there's some teaching that needs to take place. He needs to teach these disciples about what's going to happen in just a few hours and how they can be prepared for what comes next. He needs to talk to these guys about the Holy Spirit, the Comforter who was to come to them. Then, of course, Jesus needs to institute the Lord's Supper. That's pretty important stuff. All of that, of course, is wrapped around the Passover meal and observing that exactly according to the law of Moses. Lots is happening. Lots of stuff is going on here. Jesus has a lot of stuff on his plate this evening. But notice verse 2 again. Verse 2 begins by saying, During supper. During supper. That means that Jesus had to stop eating. He had to stop teaching. He had to stop all of that other stuff that he was doing so that he could serve. How often? How often do we have opportunities to serve, but we just can't get around to doing those things because we just got so much other stuff on our plate? You know, I sure would love to go visit and check on that sick brother of mine, but I'm just so busy. You know, I sure would like to sign up and teach a Bible class one of these days, but ah, I've just got so much else going on. You know, I've been meaning to have some folks over for dinner one night and show a little bit of hospitality, but ah, I just just can't find the time for that. You know, I really would love to take that sister to her doctor's appointment and help out in that way, but man, I I just can't seem to fit that in into my day planner. Our agendas, our planners, they are just so packed with other stuff. Good stuff, but oftentimes it's the kind of stuff that ends up crowding out serving. Can I say just a word or two in that direction that maybe will cause us to rethink that a little bit? First and foremost, I think Jesus understood even better than I do that all that other stuff that monopolizes our time and our energies, all that other stuff isn't nearly as important As serving. In fact, Jesus understood that best because that's the very purpose for which He came. He came to serve. For Jesus, service was job number one. Remember what He said in Mark 10 verse 45? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give His life as a ransom for many. In fact, that's not just a pattern in Jesus' life. But it is intended to be a pattern for all those who would then follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Would you hold your place in John? Look with me in Philippians 2, please. In Philippians 2, Paul makes that very point as he writes to a church where there was a little bit of unrest. There was a little bit of kind of some undertones of some division and maybe even some problems bubbling up. There's some disagreements. There's some folks who are not getting along like they should. Paul says, i tell you what will fix that. I'll tell you what the fix is for the problem of disunity. The fix for that is we need to have some serving. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Serving. Serving is what we are all about, isn't it? It's what we're supposed to be all about. It ought to be one of the defining characteristics of Christians that we are servants. You know, Isn't it frustrating when you go into a store... You get up to the checkout line and you're trying to, trying to check out, trying to buy something. And the clerk is there and they're kind of not paying attention to you. Maybe their friend is over here on the side and their friend is talking to them. And they're just chatting it up with their friend and you're sitting there like, Hello? Could you please ring me up? Could you check me out, please? I, I need to pay for this stuff and get on my way. And the clerk finally kind of finally notices you over there and goes, Uh, just lets out a big sigh of exasperation as if to say, fine, I'll come over and check you out. Well, listen, I'm not an interruption. I'm the customer. You need me to come in here and buy some stuff. In fact, if I don't come in here and buy some stuff, you're not going to have a job. In much the same way, you and I need to stop seeing service opportunities as some kind of terrible inconvenience to our lives. Oh, how dare you interrupt what I was doing. Jesus didn't see it as some big interruption to his work. No, for Jesus, service was his work. And yes, while Jesus did come to die for our sins, he also came to be a role model of everything that it takes to be a genuine servant, which means that what took place in John the 13th chapter, as you turn back there now, it wasn't an interruption. Jesus viewed it as important and essential. You and I need to see service in that very same way. Not one of these, "Uh, I guess I will sort of things. No, we need to see that as this is what I'm all about. This is who I am as a Christian. Because when you stop and think about it, service opportunities, they never really fit our schedule. or At least they very rarely ever fit our schedule. You think about the fireman. When that bell, that siren goes off at 3 a.m. Nobody schedules a fire to happen. Emergencies and accidents and fires, they happen whenever they are least expected. And firemen have to get up and they have to go. Why? Because this is the time to go. There's not going to be a convenient time for that. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that for us. We need to understand that nobody plans to be sick whenever they call you and say, Hey. I need somebody to fill in for me for Bible class tomorrow morning. Nobody plans for that to happen. And furthermore, nobody planned, nobody expected that we were going to have to live through a pandemic for the past 12 months where every week of the year we'd have to have people who could do all these extra jobs like setting up microphones and speakers and chairs and all the other things that have to happen so that we can come together and worship God. Nobody planned for that. But those service opportunities were needed to be filled. All kinds of unforeseen things take place. And oftentimes they are out of our control. And service is going to be needed. And that service, it is needed immediately. Even if it is the most inopportune hour. But you know what? When you view it through that lens, isn't that really what makes service so meaningful? That someone was willing to give up their schedule. Someone was willing to cut into their own time and their own agenda. Someone was willing to put themselves out and be inconvenienced in order to help me. You know, whenever I read the book of Job, I know that I'm always really critical and really hard on those three friends of Job. Those guys said a lot of foolish things. They said a lot of wrong things. But I'll say this about those guys. At least they were there. At least they showed up. They were willing to suspend their lives for seven days so they could serve their friend. They could go and sit with Job. Which means that when one of your brothers or your sisters loses a loved one or gets laid off from a job or something else in their life goes astray and you go and you are there, Do you think that that person imagines that you're going to somehow wave a magic wand and make everything better immediately? No, that's not what they think. Does that person think, that brother, that sister, do they think that by you being there, you're going to say just the most amazing thing? It's just going to make everything right. Everything's going to be right in the world because of those magic words that you just said. No, they, they don't think that. They're not expecting that. But just by your presence, by your being there, You are communicating to that brother or that sister that you know what? You are more important than anything else that I could be doing right now. I am interrupting my life for you. I want to serve you. I'm saying to you this morning that that will never happen. If all I'm ever focused on is me and my schedule and what I want to do to the exclusion of helping my brothers and sisters in Christ to serve, To serve means we're going to have to put up with some inconvenience. And that means as well, secondly, we're also going to have to be willing to endure some discomfort. We're going to have to be willing to be discomforted. What is it that is killing service in the 21st century? What is it that's killing service in the 21st century church? I would submit to you that it is our opulence and our luxury and our love for comfort. We've got all kinds of blessings, and they are blessings. They're good things. But we love those things and cherish those things so much that we just don't want to do anything that's going to cause us to give up our comfort even if it is for just a little while. I'm reminded of a story that a preacher told me a couple this a couple years ago. It's before the pandemic. A brother who he was teaching the like the teenage class, the high school age class, and they'd been talking about some things related to evangelism. And in his effort to try to kind of put the rubber to the road, uh, he said, "Hey, what I'd like to do is I'd like to kind of put some of this into practice, and I'd like for us to meet up here at the church building one evening." And we're going to go into the neighborhood and we're going to hand out flyers for our upcoming gospel meeting. They had a meeting coming up in a couple of weeks. And so, hey, let's be evangelistic. Let's go out and let's invite others to come and take part in the meeting. And he talked about that in class. I mean, all the kids are like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Let's do that together. So they get together, middle of the week, whatever night that it was, come to the church building. And they get there. And everybody's all excited and ready to go. And all right, is everybody here? Are we ready to to, to, to hit the, you know, kind of hit the ground and start doing all this? Finally, there was one, one young lady that was the last to arrive. She finally showed up. And when she got there, she came to realize that oh, oh, we're gonna actually be walking from door to door. We're gonna be walking through the streets. We're gonna be walking and doing all of this legwork, actual legwork. We're not gonna be in the car. We're not going to be riding in air-conditioned vehicles, sitting in nice comfy seats. And when she came to realize that, she said, I, I, I just don't think I can go. And when the brother asked her, he really was almost stunned at her response. She said, "She said I'm going to get all sweaty. My makeup's going to run. And my hair's going to get a mess if I'm out walking. And she was convinced that she just couldn't do this work and be involved in this act of service. The brother then said to her, Well, that's a shame. We really would like for you to be involved in this and participate in this. You know, we were planning on once we got done here, we were going to go down to Pizza Hut and I was going to buy pizza for everybody. And at that point, her eyes kind of, kind of brightened up. Oh, oh, okay, we're going to get to go hang out together. and You're going to buy us pizza and give us treats and snacks. Okay, well, I, I, I guess I can do it. And he told me that story and I thought, First of all, you can't serve unless you're comfortable doing it. And furthermore, you can't serve unless there's pizza at the end, unless there's some kind of a prize, some kind of reward at the end of that. We can't be discomforted for a little while to do some things in the kingdom? Really? If there's dollar signs attached to it, if there's pepperoni pizza at the end of it, yeah, I can do it then, but otherwise, no, I can't do that. I've got to tell you, I sure am glad that Jesus didn't have that attitude. Because I don't think that what I'm looking at here in John the 13th chapter, I don't think there's anything in here that says that anybody tipped Jesus after he got done washing their feet. I don't think Matthew elbowed Thomas and said, how much do you tip for a good foot washing? Anybody here got changed for a denarii? I don't see any of that in the text. And you need to know that what Jesus was doing in John 13, it really, really was smelly, disgusting work. You know, oftentimes we talk about Jesus washing the disciples' feet One of the points that we often make is that in New Testament times in the first century, people were walking around usually wearing sandals, which means that their skin and their feet were exposed. And they were walking around on roads that were not paved like ours are, which means they're walking in dirt and mud and that stuff would get caked on people's feet. And that is exactly right. But you should know as well that in New Testament times, they didn't have things like we do today like like garbage disposal. And they didn't even have sewage systems like we do today. Which means, do you know what people did with their garbage? And what people did with their waste? Just toss that out in the street. That's where that went. People threw their garbage and threw their waste out in the middle of the street. And so when you went to a city like Jerusalem, and you've been walking around Jerusalem for several days, as these guys have been doing, then what that means is, is that when Jesus gets down on His hands and His knees... He is washing feet that have been caked in mud and have been plotted through raw sewage and garbage for days. I got to tell you, I imagine that was pretty uncomfortable. Kind of like dying on a cross. I think that was probably pretty uncomfortable too. Are you still here in John? Just turn over a few pages in John 19. In John 19 and in verse 16, "...so they delivered Him over to be crucified, and they took Jesus. And He went out bearing His own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified Him and with Him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them." You keep on reading in that account, John goes on to tell us in verse 25 that painfully Jesus' mother was there at the cross, watching Him die. What did that pay? I imagine that didn't pay very good at all. And I do not think that it was very comfortable to have spikes driven through your hands and through your feet and to have your body be hung and suspended above the earth and to have your mother, your flesh and blood mother, watch this terrible event unfold before her very eyes as you bear the sins of the world. How uncomfortable was that? How much inconvenience did Jesus put up with? None of that. None of that makes sense to us in our day and time of luxury and comfort and the culture in which we live. You know, for us, if it doesn't pay, well then, we just really don't want to do that. In fact, we've come so affluent now that in a lot of ways, the things that we don't want to do, we'll just farm it out to others. I'll just pay other people to do that. That's what I do when it comes to mowing the yard. I don't like doing that. So I pay somebody else to do that for me. And we do that with lots of other dirty jobs, other uncomfortable things that we don't like to do. And at the end of the day, what that means in a lot of ways is that means that we're just not all that interested in serving. We're not interested in doing the things that make us discomforted. We don't want to have to come and clean up somebody else's mess. I really don't want to do that. And if you'll read your Bible carefully, what you'll find is that John 13 is not the first time that God has gotten involved in people's stinky messes. You read your Bible and what you'll find is that God is always cleaning up after us. He's always there to rescue and to save and to fix and to help and to heal and to deliver and to clean up after us. God is always being terribly inconvenienced by us. And John 13 is actually just another in a long series of examples where Jesus shows us that being like the Lord means having a willingness to be discomforted. Let me say something that I think probably has needed to be said for this past year. We need to stop making comfort an idol. I fear that we have made that an idol. And what we need to do is we need to roll up our sleeves, get down on our hands and knees and start... Serving. What kind of service could you and I render if we were willing to sacrifice our own personal comfort in order to be a servant to someone else? And furthermore, how much service could you render if you were willing to do what was needed instead of doing what you wanted? Because that is the third and final component (coughs) to what I see in John the 13th chapter. And that is that servanthood, it only occurs. Whenever there is a willingness to serve in any capacity, whatever the situation calls for, I need to be willing to serve. You know, as I step back and as I look here at John 13, I am quite certain that I could have served right there in the middle of all of that. I could have. Right around verse, I don't know, 3 or 4, when Jesus is starting to get up and to start to do all of this, I think that right there, I could have really served in a powerful way. Because what I could have done in that moment is I could have given a rousing motivational speech. I could have. I could have stood up right there and I could have said, Men, look at your feet. Take care for your own feet. Wash your feet, men. Take some pride in your feet. Don't wait for others to do this. You wash your own feet. I think I could have did that. I could have gave a real fired up and impassioned speech right there. I could have done that. And you want to know why I could have done that? Because I like doing that. I like it. I love to preach. And I love to talk about the Word of God. And I love to try to motivate people to do the Word of God. And so what I would have done in John chapter 13 is I would have given a big rousing sermon. And then after I got done giving that sermon, what I would have done is I would have then went and sat down because, hey, I've done my service for the day. I'm done today. I'll let somebody else do the feet washing. Now don't get me wrong. There is a time and a place for motivational speeches. And there are lots of places in the Bible where somebody does, stand up. And they get people fired up. And that is important and that is, that is sometimes it is needed. But you know what? <clears throat> That's not a cure-all for every circumstance, is it? These disciples in John 13, what they needed is they needed a moment of realization that this is not the time to let somebody else do it. This is not the time to look around the room and say, Well, well he's not doing anything. Well, what about him? Or that guy over there? He hasn't done anything in forever. No, this was the time for each of those men to say, What can I do? And then do it. Stop making excuses. I'm talking to us now. Stop making excuses. Stop waiting for a more convenient time. Stop waiting for a more comfortable option to come along. Take a look around and do that little, that little arithmetic problem that we sometimes do. Sometimes you your preachers do this. You ever heard this before? Opportunity plus ability equals responsibility. I love that. That is entirely biblical. Is there an opportunity for me to serve here? And if there is, do I have the ability to serve in that capacity? If the answer to those two questions is yes, then I have a responsibility to serve. In Galatians, the sixth chapter, please. In Galatians 6, let's think once again about bringing this home within the body of Christ. In Galatians 6, Paul writes to those churches of Galatia and tells them a thing or two about serving in the body. He says in Galatians 6 and in verse 2, he says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Brother sister, we don't need to hear how busy you are. We don't need to hear how inconvenient it would be for you to do that burden bearing. We don't need to hear about how uncomfortable doing this or doing that makes you. What we just need is some service. We need you, we need me, we need all of us to help carry this load. Can I identify for you some of those burdens that you can help bear locally here within this local congregation? Ways that you can serve within this local church. First and foremost, let me start with this start with some obvious stuff. We need men who will step forward and who will help lead and conduct us in worship. These things that we are doing today. We need somebody who's going to stand up here, stand behind this microphone and lead us in those things. Lead us in song. Lead us in prayer. Lead our minds as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Lead in making announcements and get everybody up to speed on what's going on in the congregation. Lead in presenting the Word of God, giving an invitation, leading a Bible class, which actually leads to this next thing. We need teachers. We need teachers. I feel like I holler about this all the time, but it's because we can never have enough teachers. We need people who are willing to teach the Word of God. There are always opportunities... For Bible class teachers, you go back there and look on the bulletin board, you'll see all kinds of blank spaces that need names filled in it who will teach Bible classes. Adult Bible classes, children's Bible classes, ladies' Bible classes. There's opportunities to serve. We need people who will step in. As well, as we think about our assemblies and what goes on when we come here together, we need people as well who will take upon themselves the important mantle of being a greeter. And not just making our own family and folks feel welcome and greeting them, but I'm thinking specifically about people who have a mind and an eye toward, toward visitors, outsiders, people who come to this place. Maybe they're traveling through. have some folks like that here today. Maybe some folks in the community who just come here for the first time. They are coming here into our house, so to speak. They're here amongst our family. And yet I'm always shocked at the fact that sometimes people just ignore those folks. Don't say anything to those people. What? We need folks who will see that's an opportunity for me to serve, make people feel welcome. Get to know them. Have them fill out a visitor's card. Invite them to come back. Maybe as well some opportunities to serve. There's all kinds of technology stuff that goes on even during our worship services and even outside of our worship services. Some technological, technical sorts of things that need to be done. Especially in the last year, we've upgraded a lot of things. We've added video cameras now. and We've got things along those lines. We've got microphones and things that need to be set up and are working. We've got audio recordings. We've got an internet website. We've got a Facebook page. All this stuff needs to be maintained and updated. Somebody's got to do that. Again, that stuff just doesn't happen on its own. When people are willing to step in and say, Hey, I can serve in that way. I know some stuff about computers. I know a thing or two about audio equipment. That's an area where you can serve. Let me add to that as we keep thinking about those sorts of things. There's things that pertain to the facilities here that need to be taken care of. The regular upkeep and the cleanliness, cleaning the church building. There's a sign-up sheet on the board for that. Weekly opportunities for that. I don't want to come sit in a dirty, filthy, you know, disgusting, unkempt building to worship God. Do you? I mean, if it's all we got, it's all we got, but... Truth is, I think we can do better than that. We have the ability to do that. Can you help out with that? There's other things about the maintenance of the building. Appreciate that we got folks who take care of things pertaining to the lights and electrical sorts of work. There's signs that need to have the information changed on them on a weekly basis. All kinds of things that people that'll lock the doors. People who get here early enough to unlock the doors. That's an important job. Somebody's got to do that. Somebody needs to turn the lights on. Appreciate Brother Gary Keith. A couple years ago we had a couple of services where for whatever reason these lights at the pulpit and the microphone light as well, which is right next to it, they didn't get turned on. And as a result, the recordings that come through the microphone, they didn't get recorded. And the lighting up here was really terrible and awful. And I appreciate Brother Gary Keith, he said, well, I'll take care of that. And Gary made it his job regularly. He's sitting up there. He's sitting there closest next to the switches. Made it his job every time when he got here to see to it that those lights, those switches were turned on. That may seem like a small thing to you, but you know what? That was an important thing. Gary took that job seriously. What about this? What about all the administrative kinds of things that have to be done and taken care of? There's Bible class material that needs to be ordered. Somebody's got to be taking care of that. There's other supplies that need to be ordered, things that help out with the upkeep of the building. Somebody's got to take care of that. Need somebody to take up the collection every week and keep the records of all of that, keep the financial records. We have to have bulletins that need to be printed out and gospel meeting flyers and all that sort of stuff. Again, that stuff doesn't just happen on its own. The directory, the picture board with all the members here, that takes work. It takes people who are willing to serve. I'd add to that as well, the important work of outreach. And by that, I mean evangelism. I mean reaching out to people outside of these four walls. People in our community, setting up Bible studies, inviting folks to come to church, getting people involved in what we are doing here as we share the message of Jesus Christ. I'd say something as well about the important work of visiting. Can you do that? Somebody says, all right, Josh, you're talking about visiting, going and checking on... Brothers or sisters who maybe are sick, folks that are maybe shut in, thinking as well about folks who maybe have become very lax in their service to the Lord and maybe aren't being as, at least don't seem to be demonstrating faithfulness to the Lord, who's going to visit and check on those? Somebody's maybe going to say, Well, Josh, don't you know COVID 19 has really put a wrinkle in that? Well, I understand that. I understand that that's created some limitations. But COVID 19 does not cause us and allow us to just shirk those obligations. Those things need to be done somebody's going to need to have to think outside the box, okay? Maybe I can't go inside that brother's house and talk to him, but maybe I can stand six feet away from his front door and talk to him. Maybe I could send him a text message. Maybe I could call somebody and ask, Hey, how you doing? What's the latest? What can I do to help? And add to that as well, the important work of hospitality. I know once again somebody's going to say, well, COVID-19, don't you know? I, I get that. But hospitality is still a command of Scripture. It is one of the ways in which we serve one another. Maybe I just need to get creative in how I think about extending my hospitality to my brethren. What about the work of of benevolence? I realize that that can be a church thing that we do collectively as we help needy brethren, but there may be also opportunities where I can just serve on an individual basis to help a brother or a sister financially, help them in some way materially because I've been blessed. I need to be looking for those opportunities. I need to as well think about the important work of encouragement. Man! we got a lot of great encouragers here in this congregation. And you know what? We can use even more. We can always use encouragers. In fact, if everybody is being an encourager, then I would submit to you that all this other stuff, it's going to be took care of. Because being an encourager means you're going to be doing that other stuff. And since i got room for at least one more thing there, I will just go ahead and throw this up there. What about the important service of people who are willing to devote themselves to the work of being an elder in a congregation? Or a deacon in a congregation? Now I realize that one, not everybody's going to be able to be an elder. Not everybody's going to be able to be a deacon. But there are people who can. There are people who can be developing their life and the patterns and the habits of their life so that they can serve in those important works someday. Are we doing that? Do we feel the heavy mantle, the weight of service that the Lord is calling upon us to render? There is so much going on even just right here at Lakeside. There is so much good that needs to be done. And unfortunately, with such a massive workload, oftentimes the temptation is to say, "Eh, I just don't want to do that. I just don't. I don't want to do that. I don't want to help with, for example, the cleaning of the church building. You know, vacuuming floors, scrubbing dirty toilets. I'll let somebody else do that. I'll leave that to people who like scrubbing dirty toilets. That's what I'll do. I want you to listen to me very carefully. And and, and I say this, this is not intended to offend anybody. But all this business of, I just don't really want to do that, that's just tough. It's just tough. Because what we have before us today is some hospitality that needs to be extended. And some Bible classes that need to be taught. And some physical details around this building that need to be taken care of. This stuff right here, this is what's on the table today. And you know what? Maybe next week, maybe next week we'll have a bunch of glamorous and easy jobs that you've just always dreamed of doing. But you know what? Until then, right now, today, this is the stuff that needs to be done. And what you and I need to do is we need to quit waiting around for that big golden moment when all the stars finally align and... Finally, finally, something that I like to do. Something that is very convenient for me to do. Something that I'm very comfortable doing. Brother or sister, that day may never come. And when I stand before the Lord, will I be able to say to Him, Lord, I was a servant. Remember an old brother saying years ago, we got an awful lot of people who aren't so much standing on the promises as they are just sitting on the premises. And you and I need to think about that very seriously today. What kind of service do I render as a part of this body? We need to start serving today. Whether you're sitting here in this building listening to me talk. Whether you're sitting outside in the parking lot listening to me talk. Whether you're watching at home listening to me talk. If you are a part of this local congregation, we need you to serve in whatever capacity you are able so that God's work can be accomplished in this place. I know that it's been said many times, and it's almost kind of cliche, but that doesn't make it any less true. We are saved to serve. You think about that? It is the reason that God redeemed you from sin. You have been saved to be a servant. And as I hope you've seen this morning, that can be done in a number of different ways. and In many ways, this, this isn't even an exhaustive list. These are just things that immediately come to mind. But we are here, as disciples of Jesus, to follow the example of the one who arose from dinner and girded himself with a towel and was willing to wash dirty feet. And it wasn't pleasant, it wasn't enjoyable, certainly wasn't convenient or comfortable, but it was an important and meaningful job that needed to be done. And may God help you and I to have the humility of Jesus and the willingness to be a servant just like He was. In just a moment we're going to be singing the song. It's been selected as a song of invitation. In fact, Cody didn't select it. I asked him to lead it. It is song number 97 in the supplement. It is the song, Make Me a Servant. Let me just say first of all as we offer the invitation, brother or sister, are you able to sing this song with integrity in your heart? I mean, when you sing the words of this song, are you going to be able to sing it and really mean it? This song is a prayer in many ways. It's asking the Lord, Lord, make me a servant. Make me like Jesus. Use me. I am on deck. I have ability. I want opportunities. Help me, Lord, to meet my responsibility and to serve. If you have failed in that, if you've not served as you should as a child of God, this is an opportunity to correct course. This this can be a a turning of the corner moment for you. Make whatever changes need to be made. If you want to call upon your brothers and sisters here to pray with you and encourage you and to help you in that, we we stand ready to do that as well. It may just be something you just take care of right there where you sit or where you stand. It may be though this morning that you're, you're not a Christian. And what I need you to do as we sing this song is I need you to take these couple of minutes and reflect upon the greatest act of service that this world has ever known. And that, of course, is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And what I want to ask you to do is I want you to think about that in very personal terms. That Jesus served in that way for you. He suffered. He shed His blood. He died for you. He was serving you when He did that came to this earth to serve you in a way that no one else could because He authored the way by which you might be saved eternally. We're giving you this moment and this opportunity this morning to take advantage of God's gracious offer of salvation through your faith and your obedience to the gospel. And it would be our honor and our privilege to serve you in taking your confession this morning that Jesus is God's Son And then baptizing you in water for the remission of your sins so that you can be added to the family of God. And if you've seen anything this morning, maybe one of the things that you have seen is that obeying the gospel doesn't end in the baptistry. That's something that is continuous. It is ongoing as our life is about serving the Lord in everything that we say, think, and do. Can we help somebody today to become a servant? Maybe to be a better servant. Whatever your need may be, you simply need to come to the front, make that known. Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.